guitar people, welcome to Have Guitar Will Travel, presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine, with your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies. And today I'm speaking with G-Love from his place in Orleans, Massachusetts, on Cape Cod. In our conversation, we cover his new album, Philadelphia, Mississippi, a place he's never been, but the album was recorded in Coldwater, Mississippi. It includes some killer guitarists, including Luther Dickinson, Alvin Youngblood Hart, Cam Kimbrough, Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram, John Tavius Willis, R.L. Boyce, and Trenton Ayers. And we discuss how he got started in music in Philadelphia, PA, and how he came to play guitar and how he discovered the blues through John Hammond and his mother's record collection. We discuss how he started in the folk world and then moved into busking, eventually moving to Boston solely because they had busking permits. We talk about how he put his band together, Special Sauce in Boston, meeting drummer Jeff Clemens at a solo gig he had, and later to bassist Jim Prescott. We talk about his main guitar, a 1939 Dobro, and we discuss how he initially got his record deal. G-Love is big into NFTs, which I still don't quite understand, but he spent some time explaining those and how he's involved and how it benefits the artist. We talk about how he came to rapping, growing up listening to Run DMC at the same time he was playing folk music. We talk about the business of touring these days, and we talk about the various bands he tours with. We talk gear, his Martins, Gibsons, and Gretches, and his signature guitars from Eastwood and Gretch. You can find out more about G-Love and his various projects at philadelphonic.com. That's P-H-I-L-A-D-E-L-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's G-Love. Mr. Love. Hey, man. <laughs> How, How are, are you? <laughs> good, good. Thanks. Where are you at? I'm in uh, Orleans, Massachusetts. Okay. Down Cape Cod. Okay. Cape okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you at, James? I'm in Napa, California. Ooh, all right, man. Yeah, so uh, you're playing in uh, Rohnert Park, I think, uh, the 20th of July. Right, right. Cool. And, and I'm, uh, so I'm pretty close to there. I'm about an hour away from there. Killer. Yeah. Beautiful place. And ho- hopefully uh, you guys don't get any fires this year. I mean, that's that's okay. been a tough thing. Yeah. You know, like, Last years it sucks. I can only imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you're in a beautiful place as well. You're in Cape Cod. How how bad can that be? No, nah, it's great, man. Yeah, how's the humidity? Our... No, it's nice. It's it actually it was it, it's just a beautiful day out here. Today. It sure does look beautiful from from the angle I'm looking at. Uh, so, have you been to Philadelphia, Mississippi? I I haven't. I've I've driven through. I've never. <laughs> there um but you know being from philly um you know i just have always thought it was cool that there's a, a city called another philadelphia yeah you know life i just kind of remember remarking about that and um and then uh i just the past kind of some years i just thought man it would be so cool to just do a record in mississippi and call it philadelphia mississippi i mean <laughs> it was just concept uh fruit record so with this record was recorded in cold water mississippi okay uh, we did pass by philadelphia mississippi <laughs> <laughs> I, I i believe i believe marty stewart's from philadelphia mississippi oh uh, okay cool yeah and i you might not know who that is but yeah oh, I, know, I know okay good <laughs> uh yeah i, I mean 
so just killer riffs and uh i mean killer tunes in period the but not too far off from from i was listening to your first record uh with special sauce and the and it's not i mean it's like it's the the beat the beats are there the the amalgamation of of different styles of music are there so how did you how do you how did you come up with some of the songs like are you coming up with beats first and then putting the riffs over the top yeah well well this so this record like it's cool we're talking because this is a huge guitar record i mean the guitar record i mean there's some of the greatest guitar players in the world on this record and i'm not including myself (laughs) and that uh um chris stone kingfish ingram Uh it was just Stone cold blooded man, <laughs> Davis Willis, who um, is just unbelievable uh, encyclopedia of all uh, acoustic blues styles, uh-huh. and so authentic in his performance. Um, Luther Dickinson, sure, unbelievable uh, player, and Trenton Ayers from the Cedric Burnside band. Alvin Youngblood Hart, like I never really realized how great a guitar player he is until he laid down that guest solo on a song Mississippi in front of my very eyes. And Chuck Treese, who plays drums and bass on the record, he has my favorite guitar solo on the record on Sunshine. So he's in his own right a great guitar player. Yeah. And I'm not that bad. <laughs> so just to answer your question, um, this is a really collaborative record. So everybody was kind of tasked to come to the studio with like a riff or a hook. Okay. So a lot of the, like came from people the the guest artists bringing them. And then, um, and then, um, yeah. And then we had, then, then I kind of would have a riff, but a lot of them, if I was running down like quick, like love from Philly, that that's like a, like a kind of a stomp chord progression, you yep. know, EF. Yep. And then Mississippi on to one and E and my ball kind of, uh, that was a really interesting riff um, that Kingfish and John Tavius played together. That was just really cool to watch go down. And, um, and then like guitar man is a hill country blues sure. that Alvin and I together. And then Kingfish plays the leads on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of it was just spontaneous combustion in the studio Um as far as like the riffs and um, yeah, cool riff. There's no cool riff on the song "Kicking," which I do my like synchronicity, like the guitar and harmonica at the same time. Yeah, and that 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 that's just a pretty unique riff. I thought um, that was thought up before the studio. Yeah, I get a view of your house. This is great. So you said your kids are one, three, and six. Yeah, one, two. And six, and um, and uh, and then I have a twenty-one-year-old too. Okay. From from a separate relationship. Uh-huh. <laughs> Does he live with you as well, the twenty-one-year-old? He he lives close by with his girlfriend. Okay. Um, but not, he lived with us during COVID. He was doing his those these poor kids, man. They got oh. you know, high school, college kids, man. I feel bad for him. Yeah, he was living with us for his like half of his freshman and all of his sophomore years <laughs> wow wow so tell me tell me about growing up in in philadelphia were you were you playing guitar like at an early age or how did that work out now we're gonna have a guest star this is this is june west Dutton. okay He's right. our... 
last year. But yeah, so um, yeah, growing up in Philly, I, I did play guitar from a young age. Um, it was just one of those things. My mom, like, I was drumming on the back of the station wagon seat, and she said, uh, oh, you got the beat, kid. You know, you want to play an instrument? And I said, yeah, I'll play guitar. So she put me into folk guitar lessons at Settlement Music School in Philadelphia. Wow. And I hated it right away. <laughs> I was eight years old, and for some reason, I just kept doing it. Um, and then when I was about 13, I could finally tune the thing. <laughs> and then pretty good. And then uh, my folks got me my first steel string guitar, which was a Madeira steel string, um, which was, I think, made by Guild. Oh, wow. And uh, and that was a beautiful little guitar. And then, um, yeah, and then I started writing songs. And, and then it was like, um, and once I started writing songs, it was just like, <laughs> that was our, and then that kind of became the catalyst. But the, but the, the blues, like, when I discovered the blues, I discovered John Hammond, and, and that set me kind of away from being a kind of a you know flat pick strummer sure. singer songwriter to an aspiring blues man because the the blues uh you know that's a whole different animal as far as performance than the kind of strummy stuff sure sure the and so you, you discovered john hammond were you listening to stuff before that like were you interested in i mean what kind of music were you listening to before like early on, what were your were your folks musical? No, the, I mean not. No, they weren't. Um, my uncle Bob, who was like an in law, he he was he was musical. He played guitar at like the family functions, and I would play with him, and and that was fun. We play like the Christmas carols and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah, and then um, but my mom had this awesome record collection, and it was. Small, but it was epic. She had, you know, Doctor John in the right place. Wow. Bob Marley's Rasta Man Vibration, uh, Donovan's Greatest Hits, Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits Volume One, The Beatles White Album, The Beatles Abbey Road. Wow. Uh, Willie and Whalen, <laughs> uh, John Dylan's Greatest Hits, and uh, yeah, and I'd never, you know, like. To this day, I still have that notion of putting on that Dr. John record. And if you know that in the right place, I'd start with a clap. Yeah. And, and, and it's scary, man. Um, so, yeah, like I discovered those albums. And the first time I put on the White Album was because I was learning. You know, I, I'd take these guitar lessons and they would t basically teach me Beatles songs. Yeah. I was always to, to sing and play. Yeah. And like, so they would and it was before the internet and stuff so they would mm -hmm. hand write, you know her majesty is a pretty nice girl and right where the ch changes sure, go yeah. yep yep and i learned to play and sing and um was trying to figure out how to get the words to go over rocky raccoon rocky <laughs> raccoon word changes somewhere in the blackman hills well i didn't know a spoken word so the first time i put on the white album was to check out how rocky raccoon's supposed to go sure sure <laughs> And were you, in high school and stuff, were you playing in bands then? I, and yeah, no, I wasn't because like I, I was always acoustic player. Okay. And I actually started. Uh, um, the first thing was that I started uh, um, a folk group, and it was called Greenwood, and it was like the '80s version of a teeny teenager Peter Paul and Mary. Okay. It was, it was pretty, <laughs> like 
I'm pretty tall. So it was me, and I had kind of like I was kind of like a little crunchy, you know, <laughs> and in uh, my high school, um, you know, pothead, flannel shirt, brown corduroys, you know, big puffy high school afro, <laughs> and a straight Baker skinhead playing lead acoustic guitar. <laughs> First skinheads in the nine in the eighties. Quakers skinhead, and then little Jewish chubby chubby, a little chubby Jewish girl named Wendy Beck, who would sing harmonies. She was our Mary, and yeah, that was it was called Greenwood, and we played the talent show, man, and we just brought the house down, and then I was like, oh man, this is this is. All. <laughs> How and so how did you how did you get end up with it, so G Love and Special Sauce was it was it basically just you or was there actual band? Yeah, no, it was a band. So when I I so I grew up in a part of Philadelphia uh, by this street called South Street, and that's where like all the buskers were. Okay, and the street. So I grew up seeing that kind of culture, and then so I started taking my guitar out there in high school, and then uh, I got pretty serious about being a street musician. So then I moved to Boston to be a street musician, and then uh, and it was there. Then then you know playing on the street led me to get some gigs, which led one thing to another to uh, meeting my band. And then after we met the band, <laughs> after we met the band, like it, we we signed a a major label deal with uh, with Epic Records. Yeah. And, um, well, so, and slow, was, so slow down a bit. <laughs> so how I mean, I understand your kids driving you nuts, but the so busking. Were you making a living busking? No, um, no. And if, in Philadelphia, like you could be pretty much guaranteed to always make twenty bucks. Okay. Moved to Boston, it was like such a scene up there because, like, you and the, that's what drew me there because you could get an actual street performer's license, right? You could go yeah. go down to the hall um, in Inman Square in Cambridge and sure. get $25 street performer's license, which was this like neon green, you know, thing. It was the coolest thing ever. You put it in your case and then you were legit, right? Yep. The cops could chase you out like they would sometimes do in Philadelphia. And, um, but that being said, like dudes had like, you know, Bose PAs hooked up to like multiple car batteries. <laughs> and I was way undergunned with my battery powered PV Rage amp <laughs> and my with, and my little sound hole DI. And then, you know, my Shure 57 mic uh, through the all through the one amp. And um, so in Boston, it was shit money. I would. I think the most I ever made was like thirty bucks. More like make like six bucks oh. sitting out. <laughs> and, the, and that was my jam what, to get what? enough money, get like a half dozen muffins and a lemonade from. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where were you living? The first place I was living was uh, Jamaica Plains okay. in Boston, and that's the other part of it is I have to get like I have to I take my cart right. Yeah, I dressed up in my like seersucker suit. My Pumas with the fat laces. I get my cart, get on a 39 bus, take the 39 bus to Copley Square, oh, yep. transfer to uh, the Park Street Station, get on the red line, and go to Harvard Square. Yeah. So it's pretty good to commute out. That's that spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, Boston has great, <laughs> great uh, public transportation. 
<laughs> the and but what brought you to Boston in the first place? Like, how'd you how'd you end up there? Yeah, I mean, it was basically because they had the street performers license. That was the whole um, reason. And I heard about it. When I think back on that, um, you know, I think like, wow, that's that's really cool because like, and to this day, like now I'm a Massachusetts resident again, and probably the day I die. And um, you know, it's like. It's just interesting to me, just like, that's really cool that that city supports the arts so much and had that kind of program, you know, to give people a leg up because, you know, what's the harm of it, of having people play in the public transportation system and, you know, people like it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Any thoughts of going to Berkeley while you were there? Yeah, um... Well, I would go. I would go to Berkeley and walk through the halls, and because at that time you could just walk into the campus, uh-huh. or campus like the building, and you could go walk around the halls. And and I just it was so cool because they had all those like cubicles where you know people would just be shedding sure music. And I just remember thinking that was like so cool. But I would go down there to like put up my flyers, you know, yeah. you know, mission seeking band you know? <laughs> and, uh but uh, but yeah i guess i guess i never well yeah so i kind of take that back I, I guess i never really thought about going to berkeley um i did study i went to college for a year at skidmore college in saratoga springs new york okay and they had like, a music program there um and i did finally convinced the, the guitar professor this guy john nazaranko he, he would just keep refusing me as a student because <laughs> i finally like you know just kept at it he finally caved in but see i play with like th- thumb pick and two finger picks like a banjo player sure and he was well you have to play with a flat pick and i was like well this is how it plays like well then i'll just work on your left hand <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you're busking in boston is that so? That's where you met the rest of the band for Special Sauce. Yeah, yeah. So I met. Um, yeah, so when I started busking, you know, like then, um, yeah, like I I got some gigs off it, you know, like uh-huh. the. So the first two gigs I had my two solo acoustic gigs in Boston were I was going to the open mics too. Uh-huh. The first I had were. Um, there was a famous club called the Rat Skeller. It was called the Rat, and like you know, just one of those iconic rock and roll Boston rooms. It's not there anymore, um, but everybody came through there from Nirvana, you know, in the nineties to every, yeah. anyone. So they had like the downstairs rock room, the upstairs bar, and then they had a loft upstairs. So I book to play the loft again with my pb pb rage set up jukebox <laughs> <laughs> going downstairs everyone's at the bar no one's up at the fucking loft i'm up there basically playing for myself i get paid 25 bucks and and two two um pitchers of beer i was like 20 years old <laughs> and then i played the middle east bakery which again the middle east had like their big downstairs rock room their upstairs smaller rock room and then the bakery which is where I would be could be found every Wednesday until the waitress got me fired because she hated my music. 
so how did that so so you're playing solo gigs so again how did you how'd you hook up with the band oh yeah right yeah you're actually asking <laughs> i'm like a politician telling the other just giving it's completely separate i don't care answers i like it uh, <laughs> yeah so actually so like you know uh so i was doing so i had a bunch of part-time jobs because like i said i never did make a living off it yeah so i worked coffee shops and then i got a cool job working as a phone canvasser so like i for this uh organization called peace action and we were working on like economic conversion basically trying to get money from the defense fund to education um, wow. and stuff like that we were the people calling you at dinner time and that was me uh-huh. a young sub saying hi <laughs> hi man. give a minute um <laughs> uh, and so anyhow, yeah, like one of my street musician friends hit me up. It was like a Sunday and he was like, um, this guy Ford and Murdy, whose sister dated fucking um, the guy, uh, Mike Dowdy. <laughs> right? Like his sister dated Mike Dowdy in 1992 and I was friends with him. But he said, yo, the opening band, uh, the opening act canceled for our gig at the Tam O'Shanter tonight in Brookline. Can you make the gig? Sure. I asked my boss. She's like, cool, girls. I got on my skateboard, went home. <laughs> I go down to the Tam. It's a rainy Sunday, Boston night. I play my set, and the audience is the band I'm opening up for, uh-huh. the guy, the bartender, the waitress, the owner of the club and some weird guy at the bar. The weird guy at the bar was Jeff Clemens, my drummer who was looking through the help wanted section because he was, you know, struggling to make ends meet just as a drummer. Sure. And his girlfriend was Pearl, the Irish uh, cocktail waitress. So after I finished that and I, I didn't care, this was more people than I usually play for on the street. So <laughs> I'm up like I'm playing, you know, Woodstock 99 I do my set, come off, and this guy comes up and goes, hey, that was pretty good. That was good jamming. I go, oh, thanks, man. I start walking away, somewhere to go. you know. And he's like, I'm a drummer. I'm like, what? So, yeah, then then we we started the band okay. shortly after. Jeff, um, so Jeff, the drummer, he was 10 years older than me. Okay. And he, um, he ran a jazz jam at the Tam O'Shanter on Monday nights, and his thing was that – you can only play bass at the jam if you had an upright bass. Uh-huh. So he 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 loved the upright bass, and he had this vision for and it would be a trio, me on the dobro and rapping, and him on the drums, and then a some upright bass player. So we started auditioning all these heavyweight jazz guys in Boston, <laughs> and uh, you know what what I was doing was unique, but not as advanced as jazz and people. Sure. Didn't really kind of connect with it. So finally, we got this guy Jimmy Jazz. So Jim was like the last on his list because actually he had disallowed him to come to the to the jams because Jim showed up with his fretless, you no, know, a fretless bass. Uh-huh. He got wasn't able to play because no upright, no play, and then he came back with the upright. Jim had the rock and roll sensibility and the aspiring jazz jazzer guy in him. Um, <laughs> But he 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 was the guy, and and that's that's what happened. So essentially, was that the band? Was that was that? Yeah, 
and and yeah. and since you were the singer, it became G Love and the Special Sauce. Oh right! So basically, Jeff said, "Well, what do you want to call the band?" I said, "I want to call it Special Sauce." Okay. Because um, well, it's got to be G Love and something. I go fine, G Love and Special Sauce, and then you know, as then we got signed, and then of course I signed the deal. Uh, I signed the deal. Okay. As the artist. Uh, and then those guys were my band, but we're a band, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I signed the, and, you know, looking back, like, well, that ended up to us breaking up after our second record because those guys were pissed after all about the business side of it. Uh-huh. And that just ended up infecting the music. Yeah. I mean, you asked about like whether we were a band or whether they were hired. So like, yeah, so we were a band and still are a band. Um, but we have taken some hiatuses over the years. But it's interesting. Like I just finished reading the Bruce Springsteen book a while back, and you know, I think I think it's it, it's something that is is interesting to consider. Like I think it's really h- hard to, to keep a band together if you don't have, like a clear leadership situation. Sure. We we kind of had that because it was G Love. And it, and just the funny part of it is when you look back and Jeff the drummer would was probably had the toughest time dealing with like after we got signed that all of a sudden like I was up here and yeah. in the front of you know, um but I said hey man you're the one who want to call G Love and Special Sauce motherfucker what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so but, you know it's everything is good now and good. there's a whole lot all good <laughs> the and you mentioned playing a dobro. Were you were you playing dobros at that time? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, you know, my my father, my mother, my father have been just huge supporters of, you know, of me, my whole life, and um, and certainly when they saw me really getting so passionate about the music, they they were really on board with it. Um, but my father, yeah, when I turned eighteen, he bought me because John Hammond was my major major influence by oh, wow. then. And, when I would go see John, he would always have the national yeah. dope and acoustic. So, of course, that's how I want to present myself. So, I, you know, my father, like, got me this awesome 1939. No way. This dope, yeah. All right. And, uh, Metal body? It was really but No, actually, it was it's wooden. Okay. Uh, and, yeah, I'll never forget, like, when I used to carry my guitars through the airport, like one day I literally was walking through the airport, like running to my gate, uh-huh. literally ran around the corner and physically bumped into Bo Diddley. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, holy shit. Sorry. Bo Diddley. I was <laughs> like, oh my God, will you sign my guitar? So I pulled out my Dobro and he signed it back at the headstock. He didn't even say anything about the guitar. <laughs> like not everybody pulls out a fucking Dobro. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. how did you get your record deal? Was it on Sony with, with the guys? Yeah, um, yeah, we we basically like it, back in the nineties. You sure you remember the big music conventions, uh-huh. like the Cabin Convention in San Francisco, sure. New Music New York, and there was a small one called the Philadelphia Music Conference in Philly. Which, um, you know, I found the thing at the Tower Records in Harvard Square. Yeah, sent my demo, and the story was that like this guy Dave Johnson. Uh, was tasked to listen to 250 
cassette demos. He hated everyone. And the last one, stupid band called G Love and Special Sauce. He just wanted to hate it, but he put it on. He loved it. And um, so I came home from my work at the coffee shop to the roach infested basement. <laughs> and my roommate had left a message Dave Johnson, Rough House Records, Studio Four in Philly, loves the song Fresh Lila. It's a hit. You're going to Philly, you know. So then we went to Philly. For the conference and we we're supposed to play we we're supposed to play a show with a little band called the square roots who were showcasing later known as the roots the roots yeah and so it was us going before the roots so right we were supposed to do that and then go into the studio the next day so we, we show up producer so dave johnson ended up being a producer well he looked at us he said all right, guys, welcome to Philly. Yeah, man, I really like your tape. And then I go, well, what time should we be at the studio tomorrow? He goes, well, yes, yeah, studio's booked tomorrow. <laughs> so then we play the show and uh, do our thing, and then he comes up and says, be at the studio at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> then we start demos, and then we play the new music seminar, got a manager, and then shortly after that, like we started showcasing in New York, uh-huh. and then... We signed with Michael Kaplan from Epic Records. Okay. Right after on. we, nine months after our first gig, that January of 93, we signed in October and half the record was done. So it was wow. pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quick. Okay. Now, now to, just to turn the corner and on a, on a different subject, explain the NFT thing. Okay. Cool, man. I'm, thank you for asking. Yeah, of um, course. So, I need to know. <laughs> so, like, the, so everyone's heard of you know the blockchain by now. I think many people, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so um, basically, we think of this as what we're calling Web three, and the um, the new development, the new internet, basically software, and uh, the blockchain is is a way to of blocks of data, right? That people have mined. So it's proof of work, it's called. So basically, these are tangible in the way that they're, they're assets, right? Uh-huh. Even though you can't... It's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. But So the NFTs are, stands for non-fungible tokens, which is a unique um, uh, you know, pile of data, blocks of data on the blockchain, right? Okay. Which represents the artwork or can give authenticity to a Rolex watch or a car or a piece of fine art, or it can be a collectible, like as you would think of a trading card, like a baseball card or a comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if we think about 2001, when digital piracy came in music and the digital age of music really caught the labels with their pants down um, and decimated the music industry, I think you're going to see the same thing happen right now with the blockchain, because this is an opportunity for artists to, and their fans to have real true ownership of your music that you release. So for instance, on my album drop, which, so my album is available. The new album, Philadelphia, Mississippi is available as an NFT. And we retain 90% of the royalties from that. Um, and, and, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. So yeah. if you think about a label record deal in the nineties, you might get 6%. Sure. Uh, or you know what I'm saying like yeah. by the time you, band and, and everybody else uh, so yeah it's, it's a really cool thing and what does it mean for the listener well you're basically 
you're buying like this uh, something digital, like a piece of digital artwork. In this case, like the cover of the album or different variations or animated variations of the album cover. Okay. Right. And then you have a capability to stream it, a capability to download the music like you would off of any musical download. Sure. And then you also vinyl, except on our entity, you get the rare gold vinyl. Okay. So ultimately, it's just a different way to buy it. The thing is different for the consumer, and it's notable to point out is that you are, if you really love your the artist that you love, if you buy a record as an NFT, like I said, they're going to get all that money. Uh, and I know people know that that's going to us to fund the making of the record, sure, and to fund projects, and so us musicians can make a living. And also, there's the there's the incentive that, like I said, NFTs are collectibles, right? Yeah. So people buy them as investments. So there's always a chance that, you know, that the NF- any NFT you buy, including my record, could go up in value and you could later sell it, you know, at a profit. Wow. How did you get involved with, with NFTs? Like what, what brought you to the, what, what brought you to this? Like, did you, were there, were there other artists that were doing it? Well, I think Kings of Leon were one of the first bands that did it, and that made a big splash. And actually, they released their album on Yellow Heart NFT, which is the platform that we're using as well. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I had just been into um, cryptocurrency since like Bitcoin made that first famous run in 2017, uh-huh. and um, you know I just been dabbling in it. And then when the NFT thing came about, Citizen Cope. My friend, he was like, yo, G, there's something new that's going to save us. And um, so I started to do it. So actually, this is my third. This album is my third NFT I've dropped because I've done like just a regular art drop. It's called a PFP of 10,000. Uh-huh. And then I like the world's first virtual tour posters collaboration with the art and Bo Henning and now the album. So this is something that I'm like fully on board with. And it's also part of my new mission to kind of encourage my fellow artists to to kind of check out this new technology and a new way to put out music and to retain ownership and also encourage the fans to kind of um, support us as we go sure right. were you into yeah. computers like early on were you like super into computers no man because <laughs> like it's it's so hard to like onboard people to new technology but like i'm i was that guy for instance like when email came out, my manager was like, I'll just send an email. And I'm like, well, what's an email? He's like, well, it's like a letter that you send on. I'm like, what's the internet? And he goes, I go, why wouldn't you just send a regular letter? You know? <laughs> so now, and also I was like, I said, cause I was a vinyl guy and still am. And, and when CDs came out, I was like, to my rapping partner, Jasper, I was like, man, if you ever find me owning a CD player, you, you can have, I, I'll give it to you. <laughs> cause I was, and then another funny thing I did was, we went to make our first like video, like rockumentary or whatever. The director said, "Well, there's this new technology called DVD, and I think we should put it up. Like you put your videos on a CD." And I was like, "Well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I have a VHS player, <laughs> so why would I? Why would I want to do that? No, no DVDs, only VHS. <laughs> there we have like the box storage space with like dusty with you know dust tape and no digital copy of the master." <laughs> oh man <laughs> and and i guess we should talk about your rap how did you get into rapping uh yeah like so the rapping part of my thing is um kind of just from growing up 
and the generation of kids that was listening to Run DMC, The Beastie Boys, LL Cool J, and this wave of amazing counterculture music, which was hip hop that came in the eighties when I was coming of age as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, all the while I was out writing graffiti and skateboarding and, and listening to hip hop with my buddies. I was at home practicing folk music and writing folk songs. Uh-huh. And then one day on as a street musician, they kind of, you know, I started singing this Eric B and rock him lyric to paid in full over my blues riff. And then I was like, by then I was playing open mic nights and realizing that I needed something to set myself apart from the other songwriters. And then, and then I was like, holy shit. So if I were to have seen you in like, say 19, I don't know, 1992, would you be on the street playing a, uh, playing a dobro and rapping? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was the thing was that like, I, I knew them and I started doing it. I was like, you know, I, I I knew it like I was like I'm the only white kid playing acoustic guitar or dobro and rapping like there's there's no one I just knew it that there's no one else doing what I'm doing yeah. until I found out uh, when a year and a half later when we we're searching for a record deal and that guy Dave Johnson went out to L.A. to shop our demo and and we said well how'd it go and he goes well not good there's another white kid that raps and plays guitar what. <laughs> What is it? It's, I don't know, some guy named Beck. <laughs> <laughs> and he got the didn't. But then we got the deal. And then the Roots, who were doing something unique with hip-hop, they got the deal. So there was some people at that time. And then the Rage Against the Machine was out the year before. Yeah. So it was just our generation, right, of kids that, uh, you know, had garage bands but grew up listening to hip-hop and then that's just kind of how the culture moved you know yeah exactly and and so you're t- you're going to be touring here as i like right you, you start the third right or are you already on are you already on tour <laughs> yeah um we're kind of like um one-offs we've been kind of just doing one-offs this spring since we got off our winter tour okay and yeah we're just kind of weekend warrior and then kind of gearing up to go on a two like a full on tour with OAR and Dispatch, and yeah. I'm supporting as acoustic solo oh, okay. on that. So that'd be really cool. And um, yeah, we're gonna be yeah like we'll be up in your neck of the woods and sure. everywhere. It's perfect. We got the record out, and um, you know, we're we're back, and uh, everything's great, man. Yep. And are you touring in a bus? Or are you touring in a van? How do you tour? Yeah, we're we're touring in a bus, and um, and this summer I'm lucky enough to be able to bring my my whole family out because i'm just doing a solo acoustic tour so right on nice for us and yeah. uh yeah i mean, I mean it, it's it's a good question to ask because it's 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 really hard right now um just to tour because you know look everybody's dealing with inflation sure. of course the gas price is going to kill us yep. and the bus buses are really expensive and they're really hard to get and you know it's just like anything else, man. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're playing for X amount of people and making X amount of dollars and the cost of getting out there and making that happen is increasing and increasing. So it's really hard to, to kind of figure out, you know, what to do. But at the same time, it's like a lot of fucking money is kind of shit because your bottom line sucks, but it's just, you know, it's like, um, but you know, but we do and, uh, we're going to get out there and get it done this summer. And, you know, and certainly, you know, the 
to get a chance to play the shows and make people happy and yeah play some some stuff off the new record which we're just feeling over the moon about the new record debuted number one on the blues charts wow right on congratulations it's a bit over the over the weekend <laughs> but put to see it up there number one that was our first number one placement like ever yeah uh so put to see it up at the top of the pack for a minute that's that's fantastic and so are you are you managing yourself essentially right now no, no, no. I, um, I have this same manager who actually was my best friend since second grade. His name is Jason Brown. He's been working with me since 1999. Wow. So, yeah, we've been we've been doing this thing, you know, our whole life, and uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. good. No, I said I said a lot of people just don't realize, like, um, maybe it's somebody. I shouldn't say anybody doesn't realize anything, but maybe. It's just that, that, that a lot of musicians. It's if you, it, it's it's like it's it's not what what you think it is. It's basically like a small business. It's like a mom and pop business. And instead of selling you know candy and gum, we're selling uh, you know music, uh, or we're door to door sales salespeople. But you know, I mean, it's um, it's it's been it's been a crazy ride. You know? Yeah, for sure. And <laughs> when you so when you're doing a full band, uh, you know shows. How many people are in the band? Um, yeah, so right now it, it's interesting, especially since the pandemic. Like, I really bridged, branched out. So basically, I have the original special sauce, which is Jim Jeff and I. Uh-huh. I have the current special sauce, which is Jim, Chuck, Treese, and I. Chuck's like the partner that I made Philadelphia, Mississippi, okay, with like been kind of a fifth, fourth member of the band. You know, since the very early 90s um and he's uh, a wonderful musician so the current trio is jim chuck and i and then we have a four piece which is still g love and special sauce okay well, and there's a band gordon martin on the lead guitars outstanding player uh-huh. and then and i have a band that started during the pandemic called g love and the juice which is like an eight piece band wow. and that's who's performing with me at the Peach Fest and in, in Scranton, PA, this next weekend. That's like two drummers, horn section, keyboard, lead guitar, bass, and me. And that came about from a bunch of shipwrecked musicians during the pandemic. Okay. And then, of course, and then, sorry, <laughs> everything's a for me, but the, the G Love and Chuck Trees duo. So there's a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, so if you see G Love and something, it's, it's me. <laughs> and so how how do you have to, uh like how long does it take to rehearse an eight-piece band and and how... right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're what i don't know what that means we don't re- oh you don't <laughs> no i mean like we we rehearsed before we played our first gig and then we just gig but um yeah i'm not not a real big uh for better or for worse I, I like to rehearse but it's just that because we're constantly touring and doing shows like the rehearsals happen at Sound Pe- Soundcheck, okay. and that's kind of developed on tour sure. uh, through repetition. So yeah. we we stay hot enough so that there's, quite frankly, there's no time. There's no time to, to rehearse. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and what are you playing as far as guitars right now? So my acoustic set, my I'm playing um, Martin Johnny Cash. Okay, which is a because I I. Martin puts a white pick guard on it for me. And then I also have this Martin Jumbo. 
And then I used either a Gibson J1 28 12 string or my Gretsch White Falcon acoustic 12 string. Uh, and I also use that 1939 Dobro. Uh -huh. uh, some, you still have it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like my only material possession I care about. Okay. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then, um, and then for electrics, I use um, this cream colored Les Paul that I bought in Nashville from the factory and 99 when i went on a tour with ben harper there wow. and i think a kind color that year um and and then i also have a 1970 black les paul that i play um that i bought a guitar center on sunset strip in like 97 wow when jim like yo you gotta get a real guitar come off that pawn shop shit <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, and then uh, and then i have like um and I have two signature guitars out. Like I have my Eastwood Airlines uh, 57 3PU. Um, the airline, it's called Black and Blue, the G Love Black and Blue. Wow. And then I have my uh, signature series, the Gretsch uh, G Love Corvette, uh, which we nicknamed the Meanie Greenie. <laughs> Very cool. Very, and what are you using for amps as far with, with uh, electrics? Uh, I, I use like um, like a uh, like a Fender Tweed Deluxe, so oh. Fender Fender Reverb Deluxe, um, and I also like a lot of my albums. I use the Ampeg, like vintage amps, like Ampeg Rocket Reverb Two. Sure, that was a real staple amp uh, for a lot of my albums, and um, yeah, just um, yeah, just <laughs> um, but. A lot of cool amps, but yeah, the the, the workhorses are like Defender, um, Defender Tweed Blues 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 Master Blues that, Junior. Does that sound right? The Blues Junior or the uh, anyway? There's <laughs> Fender Deluxe. Yes, and are you are when you play shows are especially festivals? Are you playing backline like they're 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 bringing you amps? Uh yeah uh, yeah yeah. 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 Is generally backlined, yeah, because those are generally like fly dates, unless we're routing into one. Okay, and then we'll add the the gear and stuff, yeah, yeah. And, and any any pedals or anything like that? Yeah, I my um, pedal board. I, I use a Qtron. I use the Boss Digital Delay. I use the Boss Flanger. I use um, a tremolo pedal, which I can't remember what that what that one's called, and. Um, and then I use a couple. I use, I use the Blue Boss, like Blues Driver at uh all. -huh. Um, yeah, the, the I, you know I I kind of been mostly like a plug in and play guy my whole life. But sure. and then I use, and then, uh, I use like you know the Crybaby Wall, or I think I have the Joe Bonamassa Wall right now, maybe. Okay. Uh, yeah, like um, I've been kind of a plug in and play guy, but there's a couple you know go to pedals I use, that, and those are. That's that. Those are the ones that are mainly in my arsenal. Yeah. Uh, and that I said, flanger. Yeah, the Boss flanger. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And as far as pickups inside the acoustics, what are you using for that? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It came uh, yeah, I I I, I, I want to say Seymour Duncan, and then actually a big part of um, my acoustic rig is my LR bags um, venue DI, which I love. Like it's got a tuner built in. Okay. It's really um it 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 really adds a lot to go from that into 
NEPA as opposed to a regular DI. So I recommend that LR bag venue DI. And then, yeah, then I had the Seymour Duncan, um, you know, pickups in my acoustics. But I also have Fishman pickups in some of my acoustics. Yeah. So you know, a lot of them, I've over the years, you try different things and some guitars, you know. Yeah. Yep. I don't just change all the guitars at once. So. <laughs> and so I should let you go because we've been on for quite a while. The, uh, what do you do? Like, so you have young kids and everything and a wife. Are you, What do you do for fun when you're not out gigging and not making music? Just like babysit and wake <laughs> up at 6 a.m. in the morning and take kids to school. No, but I, I, I love surfing. I love fishing okay. and uh yeah so like uh it's it basically when I'm not working it's it's all about just being here and being present with with the family and then if I get to go out you know and get a hot minute I'll jump in a truck and go surfing or fishing <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then the last one last question is what's your favorite disney movie <laughs> oh, does plus count and the obi-wan kenobi uh the- that I'm enjoying so heavily right now after they go to, <laughs> go to bed. Uh, movie, I don't know, man. Let's just call it Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can, can I just say, um, just if anybody want to get a hold of me, yeah. um, go on Twitter at GLove, on Instagram at Philly GLove, GLove and Special Sauce on Facebook, philadelphonic.com is our homepage, and that has all the links to our touring, uh, how to purchase the record any old way, and especially how to purchase it as an NFT. Yeah. And thanks so much to uh, all your listeners, James. And, yeah, and thanks. Pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Wonderful speaking with you. Right on. Thanks, man. See you with a glass of wine up in Napa. Okay. Right on. Anytime. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Have Guitar, Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.